Welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am your host, Heather Hansen O'Neill, and my quote today is, Big waves aren't measured in feet, but in increments of fear. And that's by Buzzy Trent. And you will understand momentarily why I'm so excited about our guest and why that quote applies. My guest today is Brian Formato, and he is the founder of Groove Management, a leadership development and executive coaching firm, and the creator of LeaderSurf, an adventurous development program for business leaders of all backgrounds, industries, and corners of the world who want to break old habits and create lasting change. Brian pairs appreciative inquiry with a balanced leadership approach rooted in science, service, and self to help leaders find their groove and learn to fail in order to succeed and adopt leadership practices centered on service to oneself and others. Now, he has a great, much longer bio, so I'm going to make sure to put that in the show notes, check that out, along with some um, outstanding uh, links that we'll have for you. But let's dive in and find out personally from Brian a little bit more about his background and what he has to share with us today. Welcome, Brian. Hey, good morning. Thanks, Heather. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, it is fall, and as somebody that loves the beach, um, this isn't my favorite time of the year, but... Uh, yeah, we make the best of what we have in front of us. So. Uh, exactly. I just did a spark on that. Fall is definitely not my favorite time of the year either, but we are going to uh, embrace it anyway because that's what we do. So you have some amazing strategies and ways of doing business. But before I ask you about that, do you want to share anything else about your, your background or how you got to where you are before I dive in? Sure. I mean, just a little bit about it. Um, so currently I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I got reloaded here several years ago with a job with Time Warner Cable. I'm originally from New York City. And when we get a little bit into the surfing piece, I'll say, what would a city kid be doing trying to help <laughs> people learn to be better leaders through surfing, but uh, it, it, it all kind of makes sense. It was kind of the grass is always greener. And so you wanted the life that you didn't get to live. And so, um, yeah, I don't make excuses for the way I am anymore. And uh, we'll get deeper into that as well. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. So what got you interested in, in starting a human capital consulting firm? I mean, there seems to be a, a couple of steps along the way in that decision process, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, I grew up in New York City and my grandfather um, was a prominent psychologist um, in the city. And what was interesting about the work that he did, he wrote several books. He was on a lot of radio shows and so forth and on TV quite often. But his focus was on helping um, CEOs and prominent business people who were super successful in their careers, but had um, completely train wrecks of personal lives. Mm. And so um, many of them, as he would tell me, they're, they're on their third marriage, their kids wouldn't talk to them. Um, they were married to their jobs and they had had such success at work. And I, you know, as I dove further into that, I was like, wow. So if a psychologist works with people that have all these problems and then all these people bring all those problems to work with them, then basically the workplace is, you know, <laughs> a 
basically a synergistic relationship between a whole bunch of people that need therapy. And so instead of fixing them on a couch um, in a psychologist's office, what if I could work with them um, to create better balance, to do better at work, and um, to, to make the work environment and the way that they lead both at work and at home um, more symbiotic? And so that was kind of the initial push for it. Yes, I love that. It is so true. I love how you phrase that. And when you think about it, when you're going into an office, now I know that many of us aren't in an office right now, but that is no. just really, really true. So what's the significance yeah. of groove management? Where'd you get that name? Yeah, so um, I went to American University for grad school and it was a kind of unique um, program for um, a master's in organization development. And a big part of the program was this concept of the use of self and that you, know, you are a tool and the way that you approach things um, has such significance in the way that um, you can use your power and your influence with people. Um, and so in the program, we were exposed to a theory called appreciative inquiry, which poses that instead of going into an engagement with a company or with anyone asking what's wrong, what if you approach from a positive standpoint and you ask what's right? You know, when things are at their best, what do they look like? What are you most proud of? What do you do well? And so for a consultant to ask what's right versus what's wrong, typically consultants come in you know, just looking for problems. And I love this idea of look at what's working well and then shine a brighter light on that and then use that to dissect was your success intentional or was it by accident? And how could you then use what's working well as a model for how to fix the things that aren't working well? And so with that as a framework, I kind of thought about, well, the things that come easier to people, um, you know, in basketball, for instance, you know, when somebody is shooting and they're on fire, they say that they're in the zone. And so to me, being in the zone is being in the groove. It's the things that just naturally flow in your direction. And so the idea of the name is, Groove management, everybody has a groove, something that makes them better, special, or different. And so the mission for the company is to help individuals and organizations to maximize their performance by focusing on their strengths and what they already do well. And this yeah, was really something that was started in 2000. So it kind of predated the whole Strength Finders movement um, that's caught you know, a lot of attention more recently. I love it. And, you know, the, the name Groove definitely speaks to me with my dance background, but I, I love the shift of focus, you know, from when we, what you focus on expands, right? So if you're constantly going in and talking yeah. about what's wrong, um, that's not going to be as effective as what you're doing with companies. And that's shifting the focus onto what's right and the strengths and, and capitalizing on that. I think that's wonderful. Now, yeah. I'm going to contradict what I just said for a moment because I want to ask you yeah. about the biggest hurdle that you had to overcome in your business. Yeah, so um, I kind of quit yeah, after 20 plus years of corporate life um, in a number of you know, large established companies. Um, I quit cold turkey and said, you know what, I'm pulling the ripcord. I'm going to start this, you know, this human capital consulting business um, in 2014. And when I did it, um, I thought I'd put my shingle out there. I'd tell everyone in my network um, that, you know, I'm open for business, hire me. And what I got was crickets. Mm. And what I realized in hindsight was that I really should have started it as a side hustle and mm. spent a year or so starting to cultivate my network and 
uh, my positioning in advance. You see, um, in the corporate roles that I had, um, I was asked to speak at a number of national and international conferences, share kind of wisdom and things that I'd done. And I thought that it was that they wanted me. And what I realized in hindsight was they wanted the logo and the brand of the company that I represented. Mm -hmm. And so I had to build my own personal leadership brand and find my own groove in order to have success um, in the business. And you know, one of the things that I realized pretty quickly was that you can't do it alone. And so um, I found myself reaching out to others and I found a coach for myself um, that was really more of a personal branding coach and somebody that could help me with how to differentiate what my value proposition um, for what I do is and, you know, and really how am I differentiating? Because um, there's so many human capital consulting, executive coaching people out there. Um, and even the name Groove Management, you know, to be taken seriously by a Fortune 500 company with a name like that, um, it's provocative and that's on purpose. And that's, as I had said earlier, I make no excuses um, and I have no regrets for the way I do things, but um, patience is my kryptonite and um, starting a business definitely requires a lot of patience. It definitely does. And it's an ongoing process. But, you know, it's yeah. fun when you hear a guest actually go through the process of the thing that they just recommended. So it, as you were starting to talk about the hurdle, you immediately shifted to, well, what I should have done was this. So you're looking at, you're shifting <laughs> to, well, you know, if I do this, then I could get, it could improve. And so you're shifting to the focus. So you're practicing what you preach, which is outstanding. I absolutely love that. I try. I mean, you know, back to my grad school training on the use of self, I feel like, you know, my own um, journey is the best way that when I'm helping others and coaching them, when I talk about my own personal experience and the struggles and the things that didn't go well for me and the learnings from that, I feel like it's much more credible than telling third-party stories. Exactly. Yes. I, I definitely agree with that. Okay, now those of you who know me well out there, you know I'm an adventure junkie and I tell stories about my adventures and one of them is a surfing story. So I'm, I'm super excited about asking you how you came up with the idea for Leader Surf and you know, tell, tell us a little bit about the program. Yeah, so um, my core business group management provides executive coaching, team building, and leadership development programs. And so I've been running um, cohort-based emerging leader programs for several companies where you know, a group of um, emerging you know, high potential leaders would get together once a month um, you know, for the, the entire year to do some projects and to learn how to be effective leaders. One of my clients, the CEO, said, you're doing a great job with our up and comers, but our executive team, while we all love our MBAs, um, we need to work on our leadership and how we work together. Can you put together a program for us? And I kind of thought about it and I was like, if I put you guys in a classroom environment and have you role play and go through leadership development together, it'll be kind of like sending you to a karaoke bar at 10 in the morning when the bar is closed and say, get up there and sing. It'll just be socially awkward. And in the end, I think what would ultimately happen is that people would embarrass each other and you know, it would actually make the team less effective, not more effective. And so I said, well, what do you suggest? And I said, well, I suggest we send each person to a public, a public program 
um, a university program or through you know, um, a learning provider with the idea that they get exposure to people from other companies, which I think would be very valuable and that outside perspective. And they say, great, you figure out um, you know, where we should send each person. Should we send them all to the same program or different ones? And we decide on different programs for um, different people. So the chief marketing officer you know, went to program at Darden, um, you know, uh, UVA's business school and the CFO went to a program that was more finance focused, et cetera. And they came back and the feedback was, um, eh, the program was okay. The best part of the program was the people that I met and the experience we had outside of the program. But at night when we have dinner together and we tell war stories and we talk about what's going on, you know, at each of our places of work. Um, what I found was that the syllabi for these programs had not changed in like 30 years since I basically graduated from undergrad and nothing really has changed in terms of the way they're done. You go to a conference center, you, know, you sit under fluorescent lights, somebody that wrote a book um, you know, gets up and lectures you on what it means to be a good leader. You get a couple nuggets, you take some assessments, but it's kind of stale. And so from that, I thought, well, when do people learn best? And I was like, well, they learn when they're both pushed out of their comfort zone, but also in an environment that fosters openness and collaboration. And so um, I love taking groups to ropes courses and doing outdoor experiential learning because I believe that you know, we learn better through experiences um, than through lecture. And I believe that leadership is about individuality. And so if you build a leadership program that has um, a uniform result, then I think of it more as a management program. You, you know, leadership, if it's about individuality, is each person's can get something different out of it. And so I started thinking about, well, what if I could do a program um, in a much more fun environment? So what if it could be at a beach resort? And what if the classroom could be under a tiki hut and people could wear shorts and flip-flops the whole time and that we would have more interactions that were um, more social, you know, and that each person would bring, bring a business challenge they're facing at work. And so the curriculum would be more driven by the participants. And my role would be not teacher, but facilitator. And so each person would bring a business challenge. The others would then listen to their challenge and you'd almost do like a mastermind group to help each person solve or think through their challenge through different perspectives. So I started working with a friend that was an instructional designer and we were putting components together for the program. And I said, well, I wanna do it at a beach where there's surf because when I'm not running the program, I'd love to go surfing. Um, and then I started thinking about it. I was like, what have I learned from surfing? As somebody that grew up you know, in New York City, but learned to surf at age six out on Long Island, um, it taught me a lot about respect and the fact that you can't control the ocean. You can only control how you interact with it. Um, there was just so much to the metaphor and we hear about it in business all the time about catching the wave, navigating the current, et cetera. And I was like, you know what, maybe I can incorporate surfing into the program. And so as I then dug a little bit deeper, nobody had done anything like this before and I loved Pioneer. And so the concept was, we'll call the program Leader Surf. We'll do a 90 minute surfing lesson every day. We'll use surfing as um, you know, a proof point of helping people to push out of their comfort zone, learn a new skill, recognize that leadership is a skill that needs to be learned. And you learn to lead better through um, course correcting and making mistakes. And so um, I ended up, you know, creating a pilot for the program and then ultimately launching it. And uh, so it's five days either in Costa Rica or Nicaragua 
um, a group of people from different companies from around the world. Um, typically, they are um, you know, somewhere between 30 and 60 years of age. Um, they've got direct reports and um, they're sent by their company to this program rather than being sent to a conference center at a university for the week. And uh, the feedback has been phenomenal. Unfortunately, you know, COVID has made me hit pause for the program, but uh, hope in 2021 to um, get back to it um, running programs. So that's a brief overview. Uh, I am absolutely in, in love with this concept and I am certain that it can be incredibly effective. So in 2021, I wanna bring a, a group of the top <laughs> leaders that I work with and, and do this amazing thing. Uh, but what are it besides the, you know, the respect factor and, and learning, yeah. you know, a little bit more about how to handle and, and use the lessons from your failures? Are there other lessons that you get from surfing that you can think of? Yeah. So what's interesting is that, you know, people that have achieved um, a pretty high level within an organization um, are used to success. They're used to getting things their way and you know, doing well, and they're not used to being put in a position where they're vulnerable and that they have to be seen to be awkward. Um, the idea of being with you know, a group of strangers in a bathing suit um, you know, is the first step of being vulnerable around the <laughs> surfing. The first <laughs> surfing lesson that, that we have, we don't even go in the water. It's on the beach, and the most important thing is safety. Right. And so we preach safety. And one of the things that's interesting is in business, failure is not allowed. It's not an option. And so companies really discourage people from taking risks where there's a high degree of failure. But in surfing, um, failure is a necessity. Even the best surfers in the world wipe out every time they go in the water. And so we actually teach people how to fail in the program. And so we use certified surf instructors. And the first thing that they teach people is that there's a right way to fall and a wrong way to fall. Mm. You are going to fall and we're going to teach you how to fall like a starfish. So you don't either sprain an ankle or, you know, land on your head and hit the bottom. The idea is if you spread eagle and fall like a starfish, you break your fall and you don't go as deep. You, know, you also never put the board between you and the wave. And so there's a number of concepts and it's this idea of teaching people how to fail because you're going to fail. Um, and so it's an interesting kind of paradigm shift of rather than teaching people to succeed, we teach them how to fail, but how to fail effectively. And I think that's kind of interesting. So then people get out in the water, they're learning to paddle. They recognize that surfing is about 90% paddling, 5% um, sitting on the board. And if you're really good, 5% standing up and riding a wave. Yeah. So the sport really should be called paddling. Um, <laughs> not surfing, you know, but all the images that we see are somebody riding this amazing tube and so forth, um, which really mischaracterize what surfing is all about. But once again, success, you know, only comes after hard work. And so this idea of paddle, paddle, paddle becomes the mantra for the week, which is, you know, you've got you've to work hard to achieve those things. And when the first person, you know, wipes out on their first attempt at a wave, the surf instructor, um, Bella, this uh, Belgian woman that we've been using for several years, she applauds and she starts clapping and cheers for your failure. And, you know, and it's kind of a shock to people to get cheered for doing something wrong. Right. But her point is that we have to celebrate our failures as much as our successes because they're better proof points. We learn more through our failures than our successes. And 
you know, surfing is about building resilience and about iterating. I, I love it. You know, I, you're, you're taking me back to how much my arms hurt um, after my surf lessons. Like usually it's the day later and, right. and that is testament to how much more paddling there is than any waves that I actually caught. So yeah, you're definitely right on the money there and some great, great lessons. So Tell me about something that you fear or have feared in the past and how you overcame it. Yeah, um, yeah, I definitely had a fear of failure myself and being judged by others, right? And this idea of you know, being less than or trying to you know, keep up with others and so forth. And what I, you know, somebody gave me this great quote once that um, comparison is the thief of happiness. Oh, yeah. And this whole idea about trying to keep up with the Joneses or care about what others think about you. Um, yeah, it was interesting when I first started um, group management, um, you know, I felt like I had to be sitting in front of my computer in my office from, you know, eight to five, working the traditional hours that I worked in an office. Um, and I'm a runner and I love to work out. And what I realized, like, you know, one day, I had a break, I had a between meetings and I went for a run at like 1030 in the morning and it was like the most liberating thing and I absolutely loved it. And I told my wife that evening and she's like, I don't want you out there running at 1030 in the morning. All the other people in the neighborhood are going to think you're unemployed. <laughs> and I was like, why should I give you know, a damn what the other people in the neighborhood think? And that's kind of, you know, I've, I, maybe it's as you get a little bit older, you become a little bit more comfortable in your own skin. Mm -hmm. Um, but I definitely have gotten to the point where I'm not worried about being judged by others. I'm going to do me the way I do me and, you know, and be a little bit more courageous. And so that fear of judgment, um, you know, is one that I think I've definitely, you know, learned to overcome and the failure piece. You know, when I look at the people that are most successful, um, in the world, business leaders, athletes, et cetera, um, almost every one of them, you know, had a time that they, you know, um, had a major failure, whether they got fired or cut from a team or something. Um, and so this idea about looking at failure as learning and embracing it that way um, is really the way that I kind of came to the point of why, why have a fear? Mm. Yeah, you know, it took me probably about 40 years to get over my high need for approval. Um, and it, it almost happened instantaneously when I realized that I was projecting onto um, an audience member when they came up uh, to me afterward that I, I thought that they weren't appreciating me or didn't like me. Mm -hmm. And then they said that they couldn't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, it just had to stop because it was guiding how I was behaving. And so I, I definitely resonate with what you're talking about and how incredibly freeing it is to just be you, right? Yeah. And, and appreciate There's an assessment. Yeah, I was going to mention there is an assessment tool called Fire B, and it's the same people that make the Myers-Briggs. Mm -hmm. um, California Psychological Press, and it talks about the need for affiliation and affinity. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really interesting getting a sense, you know, I use that with some of my coaching clients um, to understand kind of where that comes from and this need for approval of others. Yeah. Um, yeah, because if you look at the pioneers and the people, the Elon Musks of the world, um, you know, 
they didn't seek it initially. They just did it because they knew it was the right thing to do. And you reach a tipping point where all of a sudden you get the approval. I think LeaderSurf is kind of like that. People laugh at it and joke and say, sounds like a boondoggle and an excuse for you to go surfing until they see the testimonials and the companies you know, that have sent people to the program and say, well, okay, so you know, Intel Corporation has sent people and MetLife and you know, other you know, really well-branded companies, they wouldn't send people on a boondoggle. And so this is legit. And so it's you know, anything that's disruptive at first, people are going to sneer at until it reaches a critical tipping point. That is true. And I know that there's an element, this is one of the things that I loved about what you do. There's an element of servant leadership in, in what you do. So how do you inspire executives to become servant leaders? Yeah, so uh, this is a concept that I, I'm just in love with. And I, I think leadership in general should be a selfless act. Mm -hmm. um, it's really about helping others. And so when you ask, and I do this often with leaders, I ask them two questions. One is, would you thrive working for you, right? And it's not just, would you survive, but would you thrive? Would you do your best work if you were your own boss? And if not, then you know, are you leading your people in the right way where you're propping them up? And the other is, what do you want your legacy to be? And I love leaders who look at their legacy as the people that they inspired and the people that worked for them that went on to bigger and better things. And so this concept of servant leadership being about, you know, my job as a leader is to make everyone around me better. And as a result, that will reflect well on me, but it's not about me, it's about them. And in the LeaderSurf program, a really important component of this program is we spend a day um, doing a humanitarian aid project. In Nicaragua, we installed water filters in villages that didn't have access to clean drinking water. And so you're helping people less fortunate than you. You're spending a day giving back. And as a result, it helps you to reflect on your role, your fortunates in society and how to use you know, the power that you have to do good for others. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time in Costa Rica, we built swing sets and installed them at some of the schools that then you know, get the kids a place to congregate and have some fun and so forth. And that sweat equity and putting the labor into dig holes and put this together um, you know, is a great reminder of doing things for others. Um, and then in my group management business, uh, we do a lot of these charity bike builds. So it's a team building event where teams um, have to build bicycles um, but the parts are all mixed. And so in order for one team to build their bike, they have to collaborate with the other team. And so it's a bit of a puzzle and a challenge, but in the end, then we have school kids come in and um, they, they get donated the bicycles, locks and helmets. And it's really, it's not only did you do something good today, but you really helped others. And uh, you know, it's that idea of being a servant leader that um, when leaders recognize that as the role and they shift that leader is not just about ego, um, but it's about everyone else. I, I think that it, it, it's a powerful learning and it really shifts the way that people um, focus their time and effort. Mm. You know, it, it definitely speaks to my heart. So I wanted to make sure that you shared it. I think it it shifts something in a leader in a dramatic way. When, when I've worked with leaders and done some similar types of things, they walk away saying, I've been changed. And, and it's definitely always for the better, right? And so they, they show up that way differently, uh, more compassionately when they return. Uh, and so I adore that you do that as well. I'm certain that there are going to be a lot of our listeners here that 
want to know more about you, Brian. So can you share, uh, I'll put links in the show notes as well, but can you share the best way or anything else that you'd like them to know about Groove Management or LeaderServe? Yeah, so on the Groove Management side, um, since COVID has made us have to do a lot more distancing, um, you know, I too have much like, you know, a surfer has to pivot and, you know, and change their balance and their position. We've had to rebalance the way that we do workshops and so forth. And so we've done a lot more to take programs and do experiential learning type things, even online. Um, and so you know, we're trying to get creative with some of that. And we've done some programs that are in online offline where people literally have to go on a scavenger hunt and then bring things back um, or go take pictures and so forth. And so, yeah, we're trying to figure out ways keep teams connected while they are virtual. Um, and so that's been you know, kind of one of the fun things is that my mantra is about, yeah, let's try something different. Let's think out of the box. Let's come up with creative ways to engage people. And uh, you know, it's not for, for all clients, um, but you know, what I find is that there are very few that wouldn't benefit from that type of work. And so um, you know, groovemanagement.com is the website. Um, there are a number of programs that are there as well as, um, you know, I have a, a, a blog that um, on the site. And so probably about, you know, two or three times a month, I'll post another kind of thought leadership piece or an activity or something that um, could be really interesting. It's funny. I had an icebreaker activity that I had created years ago that was called smartphone zoom. And it's the idea of taking close up pictures of things like, you know, a stapler and then trying to guess what the item was oh. well when when covid hit that page ended up getting like a thousand views every day um, <laughs> for the first few months because people were googling zoom and it was one of the highest oh, ranking pages which was hilarious so you never <laughs> you never know what's going to work to your advantage or not so groovemanagement.com and then the other would be uh, leadersurf.com um, and you know and then in, in addition to doing the cohort kind of open enrollment program for LeaderSurf, we also have been talking to several companies um, in recent weeks about um, work remotely as a team, taking teams to either Costa Rica or Nicaragua in 2021. Costa Rica is opening November 1st for all US um, citizens to travel there. The hotel partner we have um, can create outdoor learning and or working space with great Wi-Fi. So imagine you've got a team of 10 people and you're all working from home, but you're willing to take the risk of getting on an airplane, which you know the data says flying is pretty safe. You can go and spend a week outside with your team. Everybody gets luxury personal accommodations. And then you can do team meetings. I can facilitate pieces of that. We can do the surfing lessons. So um, yeah, we're looking at ways to be creative through COVID, knowing that it's going to last for quite a bit longer. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, mitigating risk. Uh, I'm in. Uh, Costa Rica, doing <laughs> my work with great Wi-Fi in Costa Rica. Yep. That sounds like it makes a yeah. lot of sense, especially for companies to be able to come together and um, and be able to create an, an innovative space by, by changing up where they are and what they're doing. Uh, Brian, you have been amazing as I expected you would be. Uh, do you. you have any parting words of wisdom, some burning thing that you would like to leave with people before we head off today? Um, you know, I, I loved your quote. I'll end with a quote that um, you can't change the waves, but you can learn to surf. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's about harnessing the power of what's in front of you. So. Love it. 
Thank you. This has been phenomenal. I appreciate you, Brian. And listeners, I hope you liked it. If you did, then share it and feel free to leave a comment for us. We love those. And I will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.